This episode of From the Desk of Alicia Kennedy is brought to you by Gastro Obscura, a food adventurer's guide by Cecily Wong and Dylan Thuris from Workman Publishing. Tour each continent through the book's encyclopedic entries on some of the world's most interesting foods and places. Did you know that in Iowa, there's a seed savers exchange where over 20,000 plant varieties that might otherwise be lost are stored on an 890-acre organic farm? Learn about this and more in Gastro Obscura, a food adventurer's guide, on sale now. Hi, Nigella. Thank you so much for being here. Well, it's a real pleasure to be here. Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? Well, I grew up in London, really central London. Um, well, obviously, it was a long time ago. So, you know, I was born in 1960. Uh, I do remember the King's Road in the, uh, in the 60s when it was all happening. Now, we were a very food-focused household. Uh, my mother was a wonderful cook. I mean, never from books. I think she had two books. Um, <laughs> but very instinctive, but, and really just doing things by what they tasted like. And, uh, you know, not, as far as I was aware, you know, not technique in, 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 in any particular way, you know, I, I think my sort of, I, I get my sort of impatience, I think from her. And um, sometimes that's useful in the kitchen actually, but sometimes not at all. No. She cooked slightly differently. When I was a child, you know, a lot of my friends would, you know, they'd be eating kind of much more, I suppose, what you, what people abroad would think of as English food and not, you know, quite plain. Um, and, you know, if it was pasta, it was what we call spag bowl. I, I we don't even do it the proper way with Italian. Italian, we call it spag bowl. <laughs> spaghetti bolognese you know not you know in a, in a way that would make an Italian wheat my my mother actually had learned had it's quite a, rather interesting when she was a child they had an Italian her mother not terribly maternal always had to get lots of people in you know to in between her and the children but when my mother was a child her yeah you know her grandmother got various people and there was one called Antonia who was an Italian au pair as much as that existed in the time. So my mother was cooking spaghetti aglio olio and mm -hmm. um, things with real flavor. But what really made the difference was that it was considered among people who felt they were, you know, respectable, not that I don't, I don't think my mother felt bad about herself, but respectable. And it wasn't done to talk about food a lot. Now, you know, so you didn't really mention it, whereas it was very much the subject of, you know, about what we were eating and so forth. But the thing that is quite strange for people now is that I didn't really eat as a child. I um, really dreaded mealtimes. You know, I, uh, it was old fashioned even when I was a child, but what would happen is I didn't eat. And if you didn't eat, it was like being, it was a very Victorian. If you didn't eat, um, you had to sit at the table until you finished. And if you still didn't finish it, at the next meal, you would be given your cold plate. Um, you know, it's a miracle I love food so much. <laughs> but, um, but of course, my parents had been children in the war. Mm -hmm. They had grown up with rationing and really no food in the shops. So I can see why for them it was, you waste and I have inherited that thing about waste as well but I really didn't like it I didn't like eating but my mother did believe it you know she got us in the kitchen well in a sexist way she got my brother who's older never had to be in the kitchen but um because that was how they were then and um but I had a sister 16 months younger and we really would help in a way that children don't help now because it wasn't to amuse us. We would help when we, you know, when um, I was six and she was five and we'd stand on a, we, a rickety chair and we had this thing called the New World Range, which is a big gas cooker. And we'd have to stir things, we'd make mayonnaise. So my 
my mother being very impatient. So one of us would whisk <laughs> egg yolks, the other one would be pouring the oil. And if, if you got the pouring job, it was terrifying because <laughs> it let it go in too fast. But it, so it, it meant that I didn't know I had learned to cook, but I did. Right. So she didn't give lessons or say why, but I saw what she did. And, you know, I've always, and I've always cooked. And it wasn't until I had, I think this is, you know, I don't like being forced. You know, it's, I didn't enjoy the state of childhood mm -hmm. at all. And I felt, you know, you have no autonomy really as a mm -hmm. child. You certainly didn't then. Um, and so once I was a bit older and I could cook for myself and choose what I ate, then I really loved it. Mm -hmm. And I loved it with my grandmother. I'd go there every Friday, you know, in the morning. I mean, when there wasn't school or after school, we'd go shopping together, we'd cook certain things and it felt much more collaborative and that I had some say in what we were going to do. And I was an odd child, you know, <laughs> I had brains uh, <laughs> and, I've, and spinach. I used to eat so much spit I mean out of always but I so we never had sweet things my father didn't have a sweet tooth so that was that mm -hmm. um and we weren't it was very old-fashioned we weren't actually allowed to eat with them in the evening um or any or until we were about eight um it was a bit children should be seen and not heard and preferably not even <laughs> <laughs> um, but at weekends we'd mm -hmm. have lunch together and it was always you know great tension because I'm very clumsy and it would drive my mother mad and knock something <laughs> over or I'd be like that and that thing of that tension of uh, sort of fitting in with people mm -hmm. wasn't really what I was good at right right well it's interesting because, you know, you started your career then as a journalist and you didn't move into toward food until um, a bit, you know, later in your career. And how how has what made you want to be a journalist and how did that segue into food? How does journalism, that background influence? Yeah, well, well, I, I wasn't a reporter. Right. So when I started off in journalism, I mean, I didn't, I, my first job was in publishing because mm -hmm. I loved reading. And then I realized, oh, this isn't about reading. This is a business. I mean, I know yeah. everything is, but, <laughs> um, but I, it wasn't really for me. And I started reviewing books for, you know, various periodicals and that sort of thing. And I liked it more. So when I started in journalism, it was in arts journalism, I was on the arts pages and, uh, and then later on, it, then I began, I, you know, I did something which they thought was ridiculous. I had a contract with the Sunday Times, which is pretty rare, and I was young. Mm -hmm. And I think I was 23 when I went there. I mean, I know it was a different time and there were many more people on staff then, but nevertheless. Mm -hmm. And then I decided again, I felt, you know, I was deputy literary editor of the Sunday Times when I was 26, which was great. But then by the time I was 27... I thought, oh my God, I'm being paid to worry, not to think. Right. I didn't like that. And I just thought, no, so I traded it in for a writing contract. Writing, so I wrote about books and arts, interviewed people, wasn't good at that, but anyway, I did. <laughs> um, I mean, I found it difficult. Right. You know, it's, I found it difficult. And then I became a columnist, an op-ed columnist, which in a way is a bit like cooking, isn't it? I mean, you, because if you're reviewing a book and I did review restaurants too, mm -hmm. if you're reviewing a book, you have a, you have a sort of something there to return to or a film. I've done about everything in journalism. Um, the only pages I haven't written for um, are business pages. Mm -hmm. um, but I even have written on sport, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> But one, one piece only. Um, but I, I, the thing of when you're writing a column, mm -hmm. you're weaving, you're weaving an idea and all you have to go on is that paragraph will lead to the next one. But it's just your thoughts and you're creating something. You're, you're, you're making something for someone to read and sort of either savour or disagree with. In this country, most columns are written for people to disagree with. Right. <laughs> um, and I, and I, and when I, what I, I suppose what happened a bit is that 
when I had to write a column and think about what I was going to say, or indeed what subject I was going to choose, um, I would often make soup or something mm -hmm. because I found chopping. I mean, I always cooked, okay? Mm -hmm. So I always cooked, also, what it also meant, my friends were journalists and editors, and then they kind of said, well, you should do this, or you should write this. And I didn't really pay an awful lot of attention. <laughs> but my, my husband, my late husband, John Diamond, he said to me once, you know, you're, you're very confident about your views in food. Mm -hmm. Or really, you really feel, you know, like if we go out to a restaurant, you say things like that needed more salt or I wouldn't have put that with that or this is great wine. He, you know, you should write a book and you, sh you should write a book about how you make your decisions mm -hmm. and call it how to eat. And I'm like, John, that is the stupidest idea <laughs> I've ever heard. You know, because <laughs> it, it was almost, it's an awful thing to say, but it's almost like a wound. And then, you know, because I had these sort of, intellectual pretensions mm -hmm. I wanted to do something that people would respect me for I never wanted fame mm -hmm. I knew well enough that that sort of thing isn't you know actually what it looks like yeah but I, I kind of thought I want to be respected by people I respect that's mm -hmm. all I ask in my work but then after a while I kind of played with the idea and I I didn't actually know the book was going to have recipes you know, I hadn't thought through. Those sort of came more as I started, you know, writing. And I felt I found my voice in a yeah. way doing that. But it was yeah. an accident. It was an accident. But I, I, I think so many things in life that are important are, are accidents. Yeah, yeah. I have to say I'm categorically not a planner. <laughs> I also am not a planner at all. And I, I truly believe that, that accidents are the best way and to learn things. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that you say that you you didn't intentionally write about food because you wanted to be taken seriously as an intellectual. Do you feel that I, I didn't? It wasn't so like I didn't. I'm now <laughs> slightly giving a rather shamefaced explanation. I didn't express it to myself like that, like right, that, right, Ben. Right. But I do remember when people said to me, writer friends of mine, because I, you know, worked on the books pages and I read all the time. A lot of my friends were novelists and. Writers, and when I remember one of them, you know, someone who'd won and gone as so many prizes, saying to me, oh, I see you've got a book out this autumn. And I was embarrassed. And I went, Oh, no, no, it's just a food book. Now, I'm now embarrassed that I felt embarrassment. Right. Um, but I think it was slightly thought about then. And I felt, and I, I think I felt as a woman, I didn't necessarily want to be, um, Oh, yeah, of course, she's writing about food. You know, I didn't, it, I felt, that felt sensitive for me. Right, right. Do you feel that food writing is still seen in, as some sort of lesser form of writing? Not generally. And those who do think it, you know, I really don't, <laughs> I wouldn't ever think about them. You know, right. I, you know, so I don't think that now. I don't at all. And right. I don't think other people do. And I didn't at the time. Um, and I also think, I mean, of course, it depends as various forms, but. I also think when you write about food, you're not writing just about food. Now, you right. expressly are not often, but even when you're just touching on other subjects, it's still very much not about, it isn't, I mean, I could never be interested in either reading a book or writing a book, especially never write a book <coughs> that was just the recipe is formula. Right, right. You know, because right. else, you know, just, just that. That to me doesn't give me anything. Right, right. Doesn't make me understand why someone wants me to cook that or why they cook it in their kitchen. Right. And but you know, I think as... I felt mm, no, no, go, go, go. I told you, know. you I talk. Um, <laughs> I, I also interrupt myself, so don't take it badly that I interrupt you. Okay. Um I I got what I did feel at the time is that cooking was entirely dominated by professional chefs. And that's sort of great, but I thought it was actually intimidating people often more than it encouraged. Right. And I wanted to write about cooking from the perspective of someone who is not dexterous, who hasn't had any training, who doesn't have technique, but cooks and enjoys cooking and enjoys eating. Right. And so I wanted, so I, I did know that that was the only thing that made me feel, yes, maybe I should do this because I did think it get, I think people had the idea often at that time 
not every not everyone and not everywhere, but very much predominantly. You know, there was a man who could who would be on television or writing a book where um, you know, they would everyone would clap as they chopped a carrot with, you know, with virtue, so speed, every slice the same, and every and plating things in a particular way, as if the aisle ideal was that you would cook like a restaurant or eat like a restaurant at home and that seemed to me so wrong and so disrespectful of what I think cooking is and I think you know I admire chefs enormously I'm enormously grateful not to be one uh, I think having to provide you know do that sort of work with is in the end um oh, oh, doesn't actually require sort of constant spontaneity and creativity. People think chefs are more creative than home cooks, but you're forced into being more creative as a home cook because you have to make do with what you've got. And also because, you know, you don't have to be consistent. I think mm. the consistency required of a professional um, is both admirable and soul destroying. Right. <laughs> well, I, you know, how does being a writer compare to being on TV? I feel that when I've seen TV and food TV, and I've talked to friends about this when we were growing up, it's like, it was this comforting aspiration, maybe kind of a, a, you know, a respite from like more chaotic situations at home or in yeah. life. And but it's so different. Your books and your TV are not that they're so different, but it just no. you feel a bit more. Yeah, you <laughs> your writing is so different. Yeah, so th yeah. Well, I I think what it is is that my language is much the same, right? But there are so many other things that you're focusing on on TV, and I let me wait. I don't know about the word aspirational. Right. I think it's it, that, but I think there must be um, an aspect of that, but I think that's often used in a way to belittle people who want right. to watch something and see something being made that they might not cook at home. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I like it that I feel people can cook. They see right. it. I have a rule that there have to be a certain number of recipes. You don't even have to look up the recipes that you could go, oh, I'm going to do that. Yeah, but I, I think what what's interesting for me, and I don't know how much it sort of ties in with what you're saying, which is right. when you write a book, mm -hmm. you are really both in the past and in the future. I'm in the past in a sense because I'm remembering meals I've made. Right now, I might talk about the present, but I'm it's you're drawing on memories both from what why you do that food, but the memories of having eaten it, and for the reader it's possibly something in the future. And the thing about TV, which is, is you're just there in the present. Right. And people right. can watch it and see it. And I think that actually is why a lot of people respond. The food is comforting for people, but I think like sport, which is often happening in the now, <laughs> the, you know, seeing something that's just happening now is perhaps something that makes people feel a, a bit alive at the same mm -hmm. time right rather than just kind of losing themselves in you know as some sort of dreamy kitchenscape now the way my tv programs are shot is my are uh, it is more like a movie mm -hmm. we were very slow for a start you know <laughs> i take a week for an episode uh minimum wow. and you know with one camera and everything is lit so it's a so in a way, it's it's a beautiful background. You know, you're not you don't have kitchen paper out. You don't have your washing up gloves there. And in that sense, it is aspirational. But the food is there, and people can see how it's being cooked. There was an article today. I, I'd have to look it up, but it was someone saying that she finds food programs helpful because even though she can't afford a lot of the ingredients that she sees people cook with she gets an idea of what will go with what yeah and how to build on that and I think you can you know people can see that and I think people do feel confident when they've seen it mm -hmm. and perhaps it plays into this idea that everyone has oh I wish I you know had a granny who cooked and I sat in her kitchen watching her right and it 
it's slightly that idea as well, watching someone cook that, right. that is comforting. What you have more freedom to do in a book, you have freedom for a lot of things, is to make more connections and right. to go off on little ways that, that you can take that idea into another recipe or it, and show all the different, talk about variations. It's right. too confusing on a program for right. that. You yeah. People then lose their way in the recipe. So I like that. And of course, I, I like both ways, which is when I write a book, it's just me really, isn't it? Me and particularly writing one during lockdown, me and my screen and then the publishers do you know, enter in when, when you hand it in and, you know, it all goes, it's all less precious then, you right, know, right. the more, you know, you're desperate to get it out there, but it's a bit of a loss as well, right. because when it's in your head, so it's in one thing in your head, then it's a disappointment because what <laughs> what's on the screen isn't quite what was in your head. And then you like what's on the screen, but then it goes out and, you know, I mean, it's important, it's incredibly important. Right. Whereas TV is much more, collaborative from the beginning now right. I, I'm really definite you know I am very controlling <laughs> controlling perhaps has you know people think I I have an opinion about everything so mm-hmm. I wouldn't even let a bowl on set without my say so and in fact I right. denude my kitchen and send everything in we talk about the recipes we have to talk I've worked with the same director for you know 20 years if not more <laughs> um and crew I keep you know it's a very nice small crew that you know we've grown up together uh well I was quite old when I started but certainly you know (laughs) with with our children okay right like we were all babies and now they're you know grown up and um I but I feel that you do and that actually if you spend a lot of your time working alone is actually lovely as well right but I couldn't I'm not sure I could you know do that all the time and I don't do tv as much as many people in my position. I would never right. do it two years running for a start. Right, right, right. No, it's interesting because thinking about my own experience learning how to cook, I feel like I learned how to eat from my mom and my grandmother, but I never had so much of an interest in the kitchen. And then mm. I learned how to cook from watching TV. <laughs> yeah, but then learning how to eat is the most important. Of course. <laughs> I mean, that's why, my, well, that's why my first book is called How to Eat. Right, right. You know, because... <laughs> your palate leads you right you know right. doesn't it so it I does. think that is the easier way round. <laughs> and if you're not really interested you're never really gonna cook right no exactly but it's funny because I also um watched all these shows growing up learned how you know the movements and that sort of thing from yes. tv and then I thought that I had to you know, if I really cared about food, I had to move into doing things in a more restaurant chef technical way Mm. and like, like started reading all of those cookbooks. And like, I think the combination of all of it ends up being something good, but it's interesting. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But there are things you take from chefs, you know, having all your ingredients ready before you start is helpful. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, And sort of getting a feel you know the one thing I think is quite enviable is that they when they train they do everything so many times it just becomes part of their you know bloodstream and that's what I feel that in a way I had lots of years of cooking without realizing I was cooking and (laughs) then I started writing about it (laughs) you know it's very hard because as you know cooking is or should be very fluid and a recipe just some extent argues against the spontaneity and, and anarchy of cooking, you know, controlled right. anarchy. Right. But I try to give room to that, but obviously, pe- you know, people who haven't spent a long time, it doesn't help your saying until this, you've got to give more of a structure. So it's right. that, always that balance, as right. it is in life, generally, <laughs> how much structure to have and how much um, sort of just going with the flow you want. Right, of course. Um, well, you mentioned before reading about someone writing that she couldn't necessarily afford everything she sees on a TV food network. But in, I think in all your work, you, you know, you emphasize you, kind of where quality can be found or should be found and maybe where to, you know, go to the specialty shop versus mm. not go to the, and, and that's something that I think in, in a, 
in American cookbooks, because I do see Nigel Slater does this as well. So I think I see it more maybe with British writers, but, um, you know, American food writers don't really talk about where to get things. <laughs> or Yes, it's, it is difficult. I think I did more, you know, until fairly recently. Right. Because I'm very aware, you know, you know, there are so many people campaigning for right. it has to be this, has to be that. I, I'm very mindful that I'm in a very privileged position. Right. So I don't, I will go and get it. If I get a chicken, right. I know where it's come from. I know that, but it costs 14 pounds. Of course. Okay. Yeah. And most people haven't, can't afford that. And so now I don't say organic and it has to be right. from this and that, because I feel people who know, know. And I don't want, and I, and you know, when you get incredibly good ingredients, you don't really need to do anything. Mm -hmm. So right. to them, so I, I think I want to encourage people to think of it in terms of, the ingredients and what taste they're hoping to get out and out of it. And, you know, a good chicken, you get more meals out of, mm -hmm. for example, because you get soup or, right. um, and, you know, I, there are certain, you know, pra practices. I, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't like that those, you know, intensely reared um, meat. I don't want, you know, uh, uh, unsustainable fish. And I don't want vegetables where uh, they've got no flavor and they've just right. been bought to get, you know, a lot of water in them and people working in, you know, really uh, wrong conditions, you know, mm -hmm. and I, but you can't, or, that's really all food. You know, you'd never yeah. eat a caper again. Right. But when you think about how capers are picked, you know, and so forth. So it is problematic. So I, I kind of want to encourage rather than admonish. Right. I don't want to make people feel bad about not getting this and not getting that. And especially because, you know, for people who are not terribly um, experienced or confident and they're on a tighter budget than I am, if it doesn't work and they go that, they can't afford the waste. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I eat anything that hasn't worked too. I don't <laughs> believe in waste, but nevertheless, so there really is a balance, I think, right. to be struck between, you know, because some things really do make a difference or, and also I often feel I have to say, you know, please don't always think the supermarket is, is the cheapest option, which people right. do think. Right. And if you live, and also if you eat feeding just yourself, it's, it's much better to go to small shops. They don't mind you buy a small quantity. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. the, and there's so much wasted food because the supermarkets here, you know, sell in such, you know, much bigger packets and they don't care if you're wasting it. They want right, you right. to. They of want course. you to buy food that's more than you need. Mm -hmm. And I, I value relationships very much in all my life. You know, I work with the same people, um, you know, I've the person, you know, I get my vegetables from, although I don't live near there anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were both young mm -hmm. when, you know, at the beginning. And I, I like that. And I like to have a conversation about, right. I mean, I often don't go and I phone and, you know, I, I like a conversation about how I'm going to cook something and what's good and what they think is good. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Londoner and I'm in central London, but I, we all need a bit of village life, even if mm -hmm. that's just how you buy your carrots. Right, right. No, but I don't have a car, so I don't. <laughs> I don't go shopping in the big wide world very often. But I know them, and they do. You know, deliveries, or I'll say I'll give you some cake if you drop that round. <laughs> but you know, but it's a very nice. I think it's important, and but I also feel that sometimes you also want to say to people, look, you know, buy this. So I have a rule, which I hope right. I haven't broken too often which is I will never, I never will send someone to get an ingredient that's unfamiliar if I don't give them plenty other recipes or ideas for how to use it. That makes sense. You know, and the same often with some alcohol. Right. You right. know, like my first book, I was talking about marsala an awful lot. So I have many recipes for it because, you know, in a restaurant, you might use several bottles a night on one dish but right. you don't do that in a home. So I think every ingredient has to earn its place. I, 
both in terms of taste, no point just right. throwing lots of things on it <laughs> just for the sake of it. Right. Um, and also because you just even going shopping, even if it's something that costs very little, shopping is often the harder part of cooking. People mm-hmm. are busy. Where do they find time to go shopping? So you don't you don't want to keep sending them out to the shops. Right. Of course. Now, and I wanted to ask, too, about how you you do read so many younger and and but just other writers you're very generous to writers as well as just anyone on social media i wanted to know you know what motivated you to be so available and and to how do you kind of keep that up well i'll talk about books a bit first sure when mm-hmm. i started writing about food for vogue mm-hmm. british vogue for a while in 1996 sort of Maybe, maybe five, I don't know. Uh, at that stage, Nigel Slater was writing for Harper's Bazaar. We called it Harper's and Queen here then. So in other words, the sort of, it, you could say rival publication. Mm-hmm. Although I knew from journalism, that's not how journalists see it. They feel the employers, are you know, they're on the same side as other journalists. And Nigel wrote me the most wonderful letter after my first column. And it was so generous. And I really thought then, God, he's elegant mm-hmm. and generous. And I don't want, uh, that, is, that is so important because some people, like a lot of chefs, when I first saw on TV were very, she, <laughs> she shouldn't be here. She, and I just thought, you're just making yourself look insecure, you know? Right. And there's room for, there's room for everyone, providing they've got something to say and do. And, and I, but I, I suppose I feel... Talent is always uh, to be really valued and cherished. You know, it's not everywhere. It's not as, you know, there are many, there, there are a lot of people doing things, but real talent, people and people with a voice that maybe need to be encouraged. But whether it's old talent, you know, I, I'm so happy to write about Anna Del Conte, who's 96, or Claudia Roden, who's in her 80s and just had a book out, because they've done wonderful work. But new mm. people, I do like it. And I, I suppose I feel, look, we're all going to be knocked off our perch at some stage. Nothing goes on forever. I would rather, you know, you want talented people there. I don't, you know, and I, I, I like it. But also I don't really regard it. I think to be competitive is such an odd thing because I think if you're competitive, you must be doing something so generic that you think someone else can step up and do it. Mm-hmm. So if you you have a voice, you do what you do. Now, it, and of course, people might get tired of listening to it. Well, it's a, fine. That seems entirely fair, you, you know, and that doesn't, I don't mind that. But I, but I think really, you know, reading a good book or tasting something wonderful, it's transporting and you mm-hmm. want other people to have the experience that so you want to tell them about it. When I write about a book, I'm not trying to be nice to the writer. I mean, obviously I know it will help, but I think, oh, there are going to be other people there who might not have known about this and will now read it or do yeah. something and it's nice for them. Your right. duty is always to readers. Yes. You know, yes. really, yes. whatever. So that's important. But, you know, I like, I got much more active on Twitter uh, during lockdown. Mm-hmm. You know, because there wasn't so much going on. And so, you know, I was writing a book, so I desperately needed, you know, to get away from it often. Right. <laughs> and I, I like, before that, I would only sort of reply about my recipes. And then I thought, well, people want to know. And I always feel not qualified to talk generally about mm-hmm. people because, you know, but then I thought, well, people want to know if they want to know or need things on how to do it I just say well this is what I would do Mm -hmm. but I like I began to like the that feeling of a community I suppose and you know people can be funny and sometimes it's it's one you know you could you you know it kind of lifts your mood and I often Mm. find that as I'm writing oh that looks lovely or that cake's wonderful I have a smile on my face as I do right. it because I you know, it's not I'm actually having a conversation in my head and because I'm having a smile on my face it, it's good for me too it's right. all relationships have to be reciprocal actually right. in life where however they are I mean I I need to feel I'm being addressed as a person right I can't be addressed as 
as uh, if as if it's a fun you know I'm a trick pony or because I'm on telly <laughs> that it doesn't right. interest me right but as long as I'm you know a person and I can be a person and respond as a person um I enjoy it I find right. it easier than than you know real life goings on over that because one I'm not good at sound so mm-hmm. I love the quietness and also I don't know the the the, the request on your time a more modest it's not like I don't feel I I, I can feel very overwhelmed by the world and I do right. feel overwhelmed by Twitter if I let, get too behind right but if I'm doing an hour and I get up so early so if I do an hour <laughs> early and then a bit later I, I actually do quite enjoy it because for me then I'm in a quiet place I haven't got anything going on and I like that but I right. can find that thing of not not in the in real life I sometimes find it hard to separate other people's needs from mine and my desire to, to give them what they want mm-hmm. and this you know favors requests mm-hmm. or and also just in terms of um doing things right, right. and I'd rather just you know be in a quiet place and chat to people. <laughs> I read the other day that introverts often do like that. Not yes. that I know whether I'm an introvert anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, how do you keep creative over so you know over all this time and all these books and all these recipes and all these shows? You know, how do you remain creative and productive? Like, is there do you have practices in place or do you kind of is it just it's there? No, and yeah. after every book, I'm in a complete despair. <laughs> Not with my first one, because I hatched the second one rise writing, right. even though it was meant to be a one-off. Um, I'm into complete despair, and I think that's it. Never again. Both because it's a pretty, you know, uh, anxiety-provoking process, and also because I feel completely cleaned out. Right. And actually, I find it harder than more books I've done, because every time I think, oh, that would be good, I, I then I... I realize I've done that recipe and I don't ever want us to do recipes for the sake of it so I never know but Mm -hmm. you know now there's so much promo see normally I you know there's tv after that takes a while and then there's promo but I I I can only get ideas by cooking in real life right cooking for people and I haven't done a lot of that because even though things are supposedly back to normal it's not I right I don't want people inside. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and I don't know, and I don't go out. So I (laughs) don't go to restaurants unless it's outside. Right. Which is not very often. There's only about one I go to. And um, so, and I haven't travelled. So I feel a bit the well is empty. Right. And it's staying empty for a bit longer than normal. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to taste other people's food, whether it's other people that you know or or whether it's other people you don't know in places that you don't know, or and just I, I always get in a complete um, state, and I'll never have another idea because I don't think you have ideas by thinking. I think you have ideas by doing. Right, right. Mostly, yes. you can. I get some ideas, and I've always jotting down ideas for recipes in the middle of the night. But it's really by doing it, and I and I cook for myself a lot, so I have some ideas on that. But, you know, I, like everyone else, you know, it's, they're nearly always made out of leftovers and everything. So it's, mm-hmm. it's quite hard to turn it into a recipe because it's using some oil that I fried some onions in because of that. And I've got that bit left over from something else, right. um, which would be complicated otherwise. So I think you just have to do and keep, you know, I think I'm greedy and I do like, I'm always thinking about what I'm going to eat. So that helps. Right. But I don't honestly know, actually. Who knows? It's always frightening. And I'm still in that phase. <laughs> ah, I have a, well, I've got a few things in the, on the back banner. Right. But I think it will take longer. And but I'm some thinking about ideas and I potter about doing a bit of cooking. And right. That's always good, even if it's just every day, two things, two ingredient food. <laughs> Right. Well, I was, this isn't related to cooking, but I was reading, you had a conversation in The Guardian with the filmmaker Mark Cousins about kind Mm -hmm. of visual things, which seem 
to that would seem different from from your work, but I I know everything is connected. But you you said that when you don't like having your photograph taken, and now you, you were saying you're an introvert, so now I understand. <laughs> but um, and I wanted to know how being a public person has changed for you over the years, mm. if it has. You know, how have you dealt with that? Yeah, I mean, when I was talking to Mark. We had to, we were there four hours doing that. So it was cut a lot. (laughs) Of course. What I, you know, when I said about me feeling an object when I had my photograph taken, it it was also in the sense that without thought, you're just a lump of meat and you're aware of being looked at. But because I'm not scripted when I do my TV, Mm. what's going on in my head is, how do I describe that? How do I explain that? Right. So I kind of lose self-consciousness in a right. way, not always. Mm-hmm. Um, it was much easier when I started because there was no social media. Right. And, and I think that does make life hard on people. I, it, you know, it's a, it's, it's, uh, can get ugly out there, I think, which is mm-hmm. why I value my little nice patch of it. <laughs> you know, where people aren't trying to make other people look stupid. And if they do, if anyone's rude to anyone else, you know, I just block them. It's heavenly. (laughs) And, um, but I think, look, I think what was made very much easier, you know, I was 40 when I made my first food series, Mm -hmm. which is a lot easier than being in your 20s, really. I was going through a really difficult time in my life. You know, my husband was terminally ill. And actually, how people reacted to me and all that, so wasn't on my radar particularly. I was surprised by their take on me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I couldn't sort of dwell on it. Right. And I... It's always harder, but you have an innocence at the beginning because you don't see yours. You know, you haven't had anyone's reaction. I feel that... I'm not, I think that thing of being scrutinized is difficult. Right. But I also am in a very, you know, I'm a very nosy person. So if I'm outside a restaurant or somewhere else, I stare at everyone else. I love <laughs> what I stare at people walking past. So I'm not really in a position to mind. And I don't mind, but I don't, I find um, this thing of, everyone imputing a motive to someone else. It seems to me these days, it's always a malign motive mm-hmm. that, that the idea that someone makes a mistake or I or also that you're just doing something because you have said it, that it isn't because you think this about yourself or you think that. But, you know, TV do, does make a difference to how people look at you. When I started, um, so I did journalism and radio mm-hmm. and I... I wouldn't do TV. I wouldn't do TV. You know, I thought I want to exist in my words, not in my image. Right. And I, you know, I resisted it for, for quite a long time. But I felt sufficiently, you know, sort of interested to explain what I thought about food and to, to cook it. And I didn't really have you know, that sort of notion. So I, I and now I'd, I'd say I've gone back to being fairly relaxed mm-hmm. about it in the sense that it seems such a waste of energy to be worrying about it but mm-hmm. having said that having said that I get I don't like having my photograph taken sometimes going out does feel very uh challenging for me I mean you know I always feel like I am you know television glamorizes you you've got a makeup artist uh, removing all your flaws you've got lighting there to make you look better and in mm-hmm. real life you know I'm messy I sit up my makeup and you know and I'm the age I am and you know you just feel like people are gonna go oh you know <laughs> and what does she look like but then I used to think when I took my kids to school they just think it's nice for everyone to think oh no she doesn't look as good in real life so that's all right but it does <laughs> sometimes make me feel a bit nervous a bit right. nervous but then as long as you concentrate on um, on how other people are feeling, you don't on yourself. My mother, who used to say, I don't know why you're so shy. No one's interested in you anyway, <laughs> which when I was 15 felt a bit brutal. But actually now I know that, yes, 15 year olds are so self-absorbed and think that everyone's looking at them and talking about them. And 
No one is. Everyone's self-obsessed. They're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about you. Right, right. Um, so you learn that as you get older. But I, she used to say it's more important to charm than to be charmed. Than, than to be charmed. In other words, no, it's more important to, to let people be charmed, you know, and let them right. charm rather than you don't have to be the show. Right, right. You've got to listen. And I, I like people. I don't like conversations which people respond to me as if I'm a per- something from the television and not a person. <laughs> that doesn't happen that often. Right. I, I think that's very isolating. Right. Yeah. And um, so... I do like people and I say you know I was very introverted as a child and I then thought I had a complete change of character and I do find people for a while you know I found it stimulating and energy giving and now I find it uh, often quite tiring after a while but I but I I think it's hard but not as hard as if it had happened when I was young or for young people I think being young when you're slightly making a way and forming your your relationship with yourself and who you are is so changeable and I know it can change at any stage but but I think it's probably much easier easier to feel you have to be a certain way because you don't I'm not entirely sure what you feel or what you think and so I think you've got to go back into a, sort of who you are and in the same way as keep that with you when you're with others and sort of let them be themselves and that's I think that is actually quite important not always possible you know because sometimes it is all just too much um (laughs) and you know we have a very um what should we say boisterous uh tabloid press here who really just want to list your many flaws and what's wrong and particularly with women and what they look like you're too thin you're too fat um you, you know, you've got lines when you frown. Oh, you haven't got lines on lines when you frown. Therefore, you know, so you sort of never read. I'm, I, right. I thought I would be very oversensitive, but I find it so easy not to read things or not to, you know, not to bother really. Of I, it's an odd thing. Yeah. Well, what are you cooking lately for yourself? Actually, I have... What have I been cooking? I feel very aware that you're vegan, so I feel bad. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not vegetarian. I cook quite a bit of fish. Oh, cool. Um, I've got a, oh, that's the world's loveliest green, uh, green it's a fishmonger. And it, it's sort of, I kind of, I find it beautiful. And when I'm by myself, I like, I quite like um, cooking fish. You know, neither of my children eat fish, so... I do it when I'm I, when I'm by myself, and I enjoy that. But really, what I like is sort of cooking, as I say, cooking from leftovers. Right. You know, rummaging about and seeing what I've got. I, I mean, unsurprisingly, summer I do. Um, I eat salads a lot. I can't. I mean, I eat. I don't. I think you call it Whitley red chicory nonstop. Mm. <laughs> I get through a lot of that, and there are so many different ways of eating it, adding to it. Um, and often that thing of just mixing, um, sort of mixing things together. But I, I, otherwise, I'm trying to think, you know, it's when you're asked, it's so difficult. It's very hard to, to answer. What I, ate. <laughs> I was trying to remember what I ate last night, but I think I was so exhausted. I just had a Campari soda and some oh, salt nice. and vinegar potato chips. <laughs> um, but I'd had, I'd had quite a... I'd had a you know a proper lunch, so I I think that sort of I had smoked mackerel for lunch, and I with you know a cucumber salad and some red chicory, horseradish, that kind of thing, and um, so I didn't need anything that much. Right. I and it was a busy day, <laughs> and I you know and I cut my head because I'm so clumsy. I somehow managed to get a saucepan lid landing sideways on the top of my head, wow. so I just thought oh, I'm going to bed now. Um, <laughs> but um, chickpeas, I cook a lot. I mean, I have I you know I'm a great you know chickpea person because again you know whether you're making pasta or soup or a salad or mushing them up and you know, turning them into a sort of something stodgy you'll eat with a spoon or pork. 
right, right. So I like that. I go in slight phases with things I, I feel, but I, I don't feel I've, because I, I don't go out and I don't see something suddenly in a shop or something, um, which <laughs> I will. I don't know. I've become a bit, um, you know, I don't get inspired that way. But uh, right. um, so I'm trying to think. Yeah, that's um, that's basically. I've been practicing with a few different recipes, some cake things, you know, <laughs> which I sometimes quite like. And they're always takers for that. I can just give it to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's the good thing about testing baking recipes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Get rid of it. Um, well, for you, is cooking a political act? Well, you know, everything is to an extent. I feel cooking, uh, for me, it's political in a sense of belonging in the world, first right. and foremost. And as an urban person, I feel it's a way of feeling grounded and you're connected. You know, there are people who've planted um, those potatoes and other people who then have picked them and then the person you get them from. And it's, it's a kind of a chain and then the person you feed them to. And I think it's quite important to think in those terms of things being continuing and we need everyone, you know, the, the to, and there's a lot that goes into making our food. Right, right. Cooking the least of it. Right. And, but I also felt, when I started, this thing of women meant not have a particular appetite and always meant to be on a diet. And I think I felt that was quite important that, you know, women are always saying, I shouldn't be eating this or, uh, and that sort of thing. And, you know, my mother had had an eating disorder. So I was, you know, I knew a bit about that and how pernicious it can be. Right. So I, I think I feel that that seemed important that not to make apologies for eating. Right. And also I feel very strongly that, you know, I know as I get older, I get more and more woo-woo, but I do feel, <laughs> um, you know, that it's important to be grateful right. if you have food. And I think that that whole guilt thing is also, so you don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And that seems a terrible waste of possible pleasure, but also, you know, we're lucky to have it. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's quite important in that, in those sense, but I'm not, you know, I'm aware that my cooking, you know, probably, you know, is in, you know, reprehensible in many ways for, for, in, in, from the perspective of deeper concerns. I'm, you know, I suppose, that's why I don't like waste. Part right. of and that's how I was um, brought up. But I mean, it, I mean, the amount of things I have in the smallest it used to drive me mad when my mother did that. <laughs> she was like Russian dolls. They go every day. They go into a yet smaller bowl, the same leftovers. <laughs> and I now look at, and I have quarter cups of so things, and everything is in there. But I think. Yeah, I, that that is important. Right, that is. is important to me. But also, it's so much more satisfying as a cook. Right, right, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat. Oh, with I me. feel I've been hopeless. <laughs> I've been hopeless. I've just, I've just been a noise. No, you've anyway. been wonderful. You've been wonderful. I feel that way after every interview. I'm like, this was awful and terrible and useless. And then when I go back, I'm like, oh, actually, it was not so bad. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's very hard doing anything, isn't it? It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's why live. That's why live things can be a tremendously liberating. Right. It's because done. it's done and it's gone out there. You'll never see it and, or listen to it. And it's just, well, you can do, but... <laughs> you yeah. know all that anxiety we we pile on ourselves yes yes <laughs> some of it is helpful some of it is helpful and, and yes. a lot of it isn't isn't <laughs> well thank you thank you again thank you